Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The text in verse 2 of Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that normally here in the mornings we've been working our way through the Gospel of John. We're at the end of the fifth chapter. We're getting ready to go into the sixth chapter. But there have been a few things in the last few weeks that have kind of disrupted the flow of that book, obviously one of them being my surgery. And there's a couple more things in the next couple of weeks coming up uh, that are going to disrupt the flow. But I just want you to know I've not forgotten that book. All right, we will get back to that book, Lord willing, very soon. But being out of the pulpit for a couple of weeks and then just continuing to think about the world in which we live and then considering the fact for the most part this is the last week for uh, the most of the college students uh, as they're going to depart from us for summer break, I really wanted to uh, take an opportunity to address them in part, uh, but then I also wanted to obviously give a message that is applicable to all of us who are staying. Now, and, and that'll be the, the direction of this morning's service or sermon. Uh, before we get into the text here proper of Romans 12.2, uh, I want to say a couple of things that I think kind of set the stage, if you will, some observations that I think we need to have in the forefront of our minds as we look into the text. Number one, and some of this I've said before, but I am going to repeat it because I just want you to think through this. Number one, it goes without saying we're living in difficult times. And we've spent a lot of time over the last year addressing a variety of issues that are in the forefront of living in a fallen world during turbulent times. Uh, once the coronavirus showed up, it seems like everything changed, right? Our lives have changed radically, probably not going back to any sense of what we understood at one time of normalcy. Probably not going back there anytime soon, if perhaps ever. So in some sense, it appears that we're living in a different world, a new world, a world where there's uncertainty everywhere, where there's conflict, there's fear, there's chaos, evil, rioting, looting, destruction. Family, family values are under attack. Perversions of all kind are being promoted as normal and forced upon us and forced for us to accept as reality. It seems as though the kingdom of darkness is advancing unabated. Paul called this kind of a world that he lived in, which is very much like our world, in Philippians 2 and 15, he called it a, a crooked and perverse generation. It used to be said that we lived in a post-truth world, but as I reminded you, I think it was a few weeks back, I said things have gotten even worse. We live in a post-reality world. Lies are being promoted at such an unbelievable rate, passed on as reality. It seems as though insanity has completely taken over. Children, young, young girls are being told at a very young age that they might not be a girl when they're a girl. Boys at a very young age, there are boys who are being told they might not be a boy when in reality they're a boy. And our government uh, promotes all kinds of, at the very least, puberty blockers and hormone treatments to stop the natural progression of a child's development, if not promoting, advancing, and then even demanding surgical mutilation of children's bodies because they have been confused over their biological or genetic reality of their gender, which, again, biological and genetic reality can never be altered. It can never be changed, no matter what kind of harm on an external level might be done to a child. At one point in our lives, especially if you're like me, a little bit older, you'll remember there was a time where homosexuality was never even spoken of. And at some point, not only was it began to be spoken of, but then it began to be promoted. And not just promoted, but then advanced rapidly. 
few years back, you'll remember that marriage was redefined by the government, which doesn't have the ability or the right to do that, but they took it upon themselves to do that. They redefined marriage, and they promoted what they would call so-called a homosexual marriage. They legalized it, they advanced it under the penalty of law, and demanded that it be accepted as normal. And then the LGBTQ, XYZ, whatever uh, number, you know, letters are added onto that group, um, demanded the advancement of this so-called transgender ideology, which is madness. Madness that continues to ensnare a culture in immorality and lies and deception. And our nation continues to make laws that make sin righteousness and righteousness a violation of law. Unprecedented government overreach has led to the loss of our God-given freedoms during the last year of the so-called pandemic, again, of the coronavirus. All again under the banner of, quote-unquote, follow the science. And again, it's that same so-called science that calls living human beings in mothers' wombs who are not wanted accidents of conception or biological waste. That can be disposed disposed of up to and now even after birth at any time if their mother chooses. We used to call that infanticide. We used to call it murder. Now we call it a choice. And again, under the banner of modern, the god of modern science, we're being inundated with misinformation and fear-mongering. Again, lies are flying so fast and so frequent, many of us don't know what to believe about any issue. And listen, it's all intentional. In fact, it was the Russian grand chess master, a guy named uh, Kasparov, who made this statement about the lies under the Soviet Union that he once lived in. He says this, The point of modern propaganda is not only to misinform or push an agenda, it is to exhaust your critical thinking so as to annihilate truth. And again, that's exactly where we are. The rapid, irrational decisions that just keep coming, the propaganda that is being pushed upon this nation, it is making critical thinking an exhaustive battle. And we're just hit with a barrage of lies after lies, deception after deception, with the goal to wear us down, to take away our will to fight, to take our way our, our will to think. And sadly, it's probably working. And on top of that, and even more sadly, it's beginning to work in what is known as the so-called church amongst many so-called church leaders and pastors who not only have caved into the sins of the culture, but are openly embracing the lies of the culture and bringing them through the front door of the church and then trying to slap some kind of Christian veneer on top of them. Worldly, humanistic theories that intentionally push, uh, puts people in opposition. One uh, people group pitted against another people group. One group being called perpetual victims, the other perpetual oppressors with no means of biblical reconciliation possible. Calling through the uh, means of external force and change in a society that can only occur by God's grace through the proclamation of the gospel and can only occur as God changes one individual heart after another. And of course, I'm speaking about this thing called critical race theory that has been so sadly embraced by a vast number of so-called professing believers, Christian leaders, and denominations with all of its uh, variant aberrations, and there are many. It is a humanistic theory. It is not a biblical theology. It's a humanistic theory that is not biblical. In fact, it is completely unbiblical. It is completely antithetical to the gospel. It promotes racism. 
It promotes racism, division, conflict, hate, anger, separation amongst people whom God alone has reconciled, whom God alone can reconcile to himself and to each other, and he does that through the person of Jesus Christ. Now again, I I said already, I know I've said that to you at some point before, and it's not my intent to repeat myself, but it's my intent to help you this morning stop and think and see the reality of where we are. And it's time for all of us, my dear friends, to wake up. It's time to wake up. We've talked a lot over the last few months of the reality of the fact that the depraved mind in this culture is on full display. We live in difficult times. Depravity is everywhere. And it's not leaving anytime soon. It's everywhere. Point number one, we live in difficult times. Point number two... We spoke about this a lot when we were going through the book of Ephesians, the reality of the fact that there is a spiritual war going on all around us. And we need to wake up also to that reality. There's a spiritual conflict, a spiritual war. Uh, Ephesians 6 and 1, you know, 6 and 11, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, Paul writes. Schemes, methodia is the word, cunning arts, trickery, deceit, craftiness. The devil is a real individual, and he has a real plan, and he's adept at his subtlety, his cunning, his wiliness, his trickery. He, he's an expert schemer, shrewd, devious. And he has a careful plan, and he employs careful plans and methodies, uh, uh, methodologies and strategies to entrap and bring the downfall of man. He promotes all kinds of ideologies that, and ideas that look attractive, but in reality, they're deadly. Because he's intentionally trying to lead people away from the truth and into error. Paul goes on in that portion of scripture and says, Our struggle, or we wrestle not. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. To stand firm. Listen, we're at war. Wake up. And Scripture tells us not to be ignorant of the reality. And Scripture tells us as believers not to be ignorant of the devil's schemes. We are commanded to not be taken advantage by him or of him. Right? We, we are commanded not to be taken advantage by him because he comes as an angel of light and he tries to manipulate our mind away from truth and into error. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and 13, Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the mind of man where the battlefield exists. What we think, what we believe. That's why there's so many warnings in the New Testament concerning false teachers, because there's a war on truth led by the devil himself. And remember the words of Christ concerning this person, John 8 and 44. The devil, he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he's a liar and the father of lies. The devil never speaks the truth in a plain fashion. He always twists truth. He always perverts truth. He always speaks lies. And then he tries to pass those lies off as truth. And he's always trying to trap us. He's always trying to trip us up. And false teachers, false prophets are are really Satan's ambassadors who are intentionally trying to mislead men. Therefore, it's vitally important for us to have our minds informed by and renewed by the truth. 
Again, he's already got the world where he wants it. He's already blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He already has them. And we as followers of Christ are called to not be taken captive by his lives. But we are called to protect ourselves and to know the truth. Uh, again, just put a little marker there and just turn over to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 10. And let me just read this to you. Again, you see the same thing here to the message to the, the, those at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk according to the flesh. Again, note the language. I, I looked. Every version in the room, for the most part, I would think would have that word. We're, not, we're at war, right? There's a war going on. A war on a spiritual level all around us. Battlefields throughout all of human history have been strewn with the record of courageous but poorly equipped soldiers, and we don't want to be a part of that wreckage. And you can't fight this spiritual battle with human weapons or human ingenuity. This spiritual war against the forces of spiritual darkness that is going on around us uh, against the truth, these demonic forces that are behind this evil world system. Can't fight according to the flesh can't fight according to human wisdoms and plans and strategies and skills and eloquence. They're not effective weapons against the forces of the kingdom of darkness. None of these things can rescue sinners from the domain of darkness, nor transform believers into Christ's likeness, nor protect believers from Satan's lies. We need heavenly help, divinely powerful heavenly help that destroys Satan's lies. Again, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. That word fortress or stronghold, I think in some of your versions, is a metaphor. It would have been very much understood by the Corinthians who heard it initially. Corinth, like most ancient cities of the time, would be a, have a fortress on the top of a hill where the residents of that city could take refuge in if they were attacked. But that very same fortress could also be referring to a prison. They could take refuge in that uh, fortress on top of that hill, but it could also be a death, death trap or a tomb if they were overrun by the enemy and they couldn't escape. So in the context here, the fortress is not, is not demons per se, but it's their ideology, uh, ideologies, their false ideologies, their lies that men and women believe and that demons propagate. First Timothy 4.1, the Spirit expressly says, that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to the deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. I, again, all false teaching has its origin not with men, but Satan. Satan and his demons. So what Paul says is we're in a battle here, and there it's a divine, supernatural war that's going on for the destruction of fortresses. He's saying, look, there's doomed souls that have taken refuge, trapped inside of satanic ideological fortresses, that have become their prison, that will soon become their tomb, unless they're delivered. And the only way they can be delivered is by the truth. But the sad truth is that we live in a time while there are many people who are indeed trapped in those deceptive uh, lies of Satan, many of the people who are trapped in those lies are basically lovers of those lies. They're trapped and happy about it. They're lovers of those truths, of those lies, because they're haters of divine truth, biblical truth. And when divine truth comes to those who are lovers of satanic lies, divine truth appears to be narrow, intolerant, unloving, judgmental, 
too exclusive, offering nothing but some kind of bondage rather than the reality of what biblical truth offers to men and women, which is freedom from satanic deception. In a time like this, this post-truth world that we live in, no one is more hated than those who come and speak the truth. Because the truth is those, again, people are trapped in the lies and deception of Satan. Those who reject biblical truth, they are hell-bound if they don't come to a knowledge of the truth. That's why the gospel is so offensive to people who don't know the truth, who don't love the truth. Foolishness to the Gentiles, a stumbling block to the Jews. But irrespective of how people think or how the culture receives the truth, we have a divine mandate. Verse 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Right? Speculations, arguments, blogismos is the, is the word. Thoughts, ideas, reasonings, philosophies, false religions, all these ideological fortresses which barricade men in or men themselves barricade themselves in against God and against the truth, against the gospel. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. All these unbiblical systems of thought that exalt error over truth. Right? So that there's a battle engaged all around us on a spiritual level. It's not a battle with demons, like we don't verbally confront demons, but it's a battle for the minds of the people who are being held captive to Satan's lies. Lies that are being exalted over Scripture. Useless reasonings. Again, all anti-biblical ideologies, all false religions, all pseudo-gospels. We live in difficult times. There's a spiritual war around us. And again, the battle is for the minds of people. And number three, listen, there are only two kingdoms in the world. There are only two kingdoms in the world. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. For the Christian, I want you to take your Bible and just turn over a couple more uh, books over to uh, uh, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, because I want you to see this with your own eyes. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For the Christian, for the true believer, Paul says, Colossians 1, 13, that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his own beloved son. And there are only two kingdoms. Now for the unbeliever, Ephesians 4 and 18 says they're darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Again, 2 Corinthians 4 and 3, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. They might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Right? The God of this world is active. We're not part of his kingdom. We've been transferred out, delivered from that domain of darkness, transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. But the God of this world is active. Who is this God? Who really is in charge of this world? Now, ultimately, God is the sovereign over the universe. We understand that. But Satan himself is the little g-god, if you will, of this world. He is the prince of this world. He is the ruler of this world. 1 John 5.19, you should write it down. 1 John 5.19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John says, look, as believers, we're from God. 
Something has changed. It implies a birth, a process, a proceeding forth from, a change of state. On the other hand, the world, the whole world, the rest of mankind, estranged from God, remains in the hands of the evil one, definite article. The evil one. It's a specific person, Satan himself. The whole world is under his power, under his control, under his sway, under his influence. One commentator writes this, and it's very interesting about that word lies. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He says this, The picture of the verb kimiai here is not frantic captives desperately trying to escape this depraved tyrant. Rather, he says, they lie quietly in his evil clutches, oblivious to their tragic plight because the little g-god of this world has blinded their minds. They have no idea that they are under the wrath of God and about to face his judgment. Rather, they're sleeping peacefully in the arms of the evil one who will destroy them. On vacation? On a party, man, working for the weekend. Living life to the fullest. This world is wonderful. That's the world of men who lie in the power of the evil one. Now, 1 John 5 and 19, we know that we are God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, is essentially a restatement of 1 John 2 and 15 that Bob skillfully taught us through last couple weeks, right? 1 John 2 and 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So in both of those verses, John is drawing the distinction, a sharp distinction, between the world and believers. Between the world and believers. And he's saying, listen, there is no middle ground. There's no middle category. There is no true biblical believer who has one foot in the world and one foot in the, one foot in the kingdom of God. There's no person like that. You are either of God, separate from this evil world and this evil one, or you are of the world. It is that simple. You're either of God, separate from the world, or you're of the world. No other choice. Now, of course, when John uses the word world, he's referring to this world system, this evil anti-God world system, this anti-God world system that is dominated, again, controlled by Satan under his power, this system that is full of godless men and women who are separated from God. One commentator says this, uh, uh, actually uh, a Bible dictionary theologian, a word man. He says, uh, the word world is an ordered system which Satan is the head. Fallen angels and demons are his emissaries and unsaved human race is subjects. The world is full of fallen human race that is alienated from and in opposition to God, whose purpose, pursuit, pleasure, practices, God is not wanted. Much of the world system is religious, cultured, refined, intellectual, but anti-God and anti-Christ, right? The world, God's not wanted. Go sit down, don't talk to us, right? Another one says this, the word world, as it's used here, means the society or system that man has built in order to make himself happy without God, and it is a kingdom that is antagonistic to God. So again, this world system, this world order is organized in evil world order, organized systematically by the power of the evil one himself, and it intentionally aligns itself against God and against his kingdom. The world of men happy without God. Right? Point number one, we live in difficult times. Point number two, there's a spiritual war that is really going on all around us. It's a battle for men's minds. And number two, there are only two kingdoms in the world. Kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. 
and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We as believers are from God, and again, there is no middle ground. Now that's the background to get us into the book of Romans here. So go back to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'll pick it up just very briefly in verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Come to chapter 12, verse 1 of the book of Romans. Paul has spent 11 chapters of profound teaching, talking about what God has done for, what God has given to the believer what God has done on behalf of the believer. And basically, he says, look, we're debtors of grace. We're no longer on our own, right? We're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. We have been redeemed by, from sin and the slavery of the devil by the precious blood of Christ. Therefore, we are called to live our lives in sacrificial devotion to God and then in service to others. He says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Paul says, let's reasonable. In light of what all of God has done through us, for, to us for, through Christ, it's reasonable. One writer puts it like this, Jesus Christ made the only dead sacrifice the New Testament requires. The only sacrifice that has power to save men from eternal death. Therefore, all that remains for the worshiper today is to present themselves to God as living sacrifices. And as living sacrifices, we are to offer to the Lord who died for us the willingness to, to surrender to him all our hopes plans, and everything that is precious to us. All that is humanly important to us, we are, we, all we find fulfilling. We just offer it right back up to him. It's reasonable. Present your bodies as living, holy sacrifices, acceptable God, which is logiskos, which again, we get our word logic, again, reasonable, your spiritual service of worship. In light of all that God has done for us through Christ, in view of the immense mercies of God to us through Christ, the logical, the reasonable conclusion is that we would present ourselves back to God. We wouldn't hold away anything from Him. Our entirety. Again, holding nothing back. Worshiping Him, serving Him from the very depths of our being. Verse 2. Verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In light of all that God has done for us through Christ, present your body. Number 2, present your mind. Right? Present your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Two commands in verse 2. One's negative, one's positive. Do not be conformed to this world and be transformed. Do not be conformed, right? The, the, the negative command. The word conformed means fashioned, shaped into a container, a form, or a mold. Passively, the word means to allow yourselves to be changed to be like, to become formed to, or be made like. The word conformed here in that uh, statement is in the present passive voice imperative mood. The present tense conveys the idea of stopping something that is presently occurring. The passive voice means something that is done to us or something that we are allowing to be done to us. The imperative uh, mood means it's a command, not a suggestion. So what Paul is saying is that Christians, we are not to allow ourselves to be conformed or pressed into the world's form, its image, its mold. We're not even to put on an outward appearance like we belong uh, to the world. In fact, when he says it in this tone, 
suggesting that we are to presently stop allowing ourselves to be poured into the world's mold. We are to stop presently looking in appearance like we belong to the world. Perhaps he's suggesting that that was going on in the Roman church at the time. He says, stop doing that. Don't allow yourselves to be squeezed into looking like the world, thinking like the world, acting like the world. Don't allow yourselves to assume an outward expression patterned after this world. That's not representative of who you are in Christ. You are not of this world. We who are Christians. We are regenerate, children of the living God, united with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that command of not be uh, of this world, to look like this world, is a command that crosses both Testaments, Old Testament and New Testament. We are not to be conformed to the ways, to the thinking, to the ideas of this lost, hell-bent world. Exodus 23, 2. You shall not follow the multitude in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute, so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. Well, wouldn't it be novel if that headline was produced in the day in which we lived and broadcast on every television in this country? Huh? Don't follow the multitude in doing evil. Don't testify in a dispute as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. Deuteronomy 18.9, when you enter the land which the Lord your God will give you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. God's people have always been separate. John 15.19, if you're of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you, says Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, what fellowship has light with darkness? James 4 and 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Pretty straightforward. Pretty much guaranteed. You don't have to take a Greek class to figure that one out. There's no middle ground. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? There's no neutral territory. You are either being changed by the pressure from without, from the culture, by the power of the satanic world around us, or you're being transformed from the inside out. Those are the only choices. Those are the only choices. J.B. Phillips' translation of uh, Philip Erba. Uh, uh, Romans uh, verse 12 verse 2 says this don't let the world around you squeeze it squeeze you into its own mold don't let the world around you squeeze don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold right again Paul says don't be conformed don't be conformed then again he says to the world now the word world here is a little different it's aeon it means the age or this time the time in which we live this world system in which we're a part of what is the time in which we live? What is the age in which we live? Well, it's an age. It's a time that is dominated by Satan himself, controlled by Satan himself. Again, Second Corinthians 4 and 4, Satan is the god of this world. This age is a present evil age or a present evil world, according to Galatians 1 and 4. So, so the word world here represents the sum of demonic human philosophy of life without God, right? The spirit of the age. 
One commentator puts it like this, and again, and he says the word world, as used here, means society or system that man has built in order to make himself happy without God. It is a kingdom that is antagonistic to God. The God and the prince of this world is Satan. All unconverted people are his subjects. He seeks to attract and hold people through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. The world has its own politics, art, music, religion, amusements, thought patterns, lifestyles, and it seeks to get everyone to conform to its culture and customs. It hates nonconformists like Christ and his followers. But Christ died to deliver us from the world. The world is crucified to us, and we are crucified to the world. Therefore, it would be absolute disloyalty to the Lord for believers to love the world. Anyone who loves the world is an enemy of God. Believers are not of the world any more than Christ is of the world. However, believers are sent into the world to testify that its works are evil and that salvation is available to all who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great definition of the word world. All of the anti-God, anti-Christ, evil practices, thoughts, opinions, speculations, hopes, dreams, ways of the fallen man, uh, fallen men, their fallen minds in a world that is under the power and dominion of Satan himself that are all happy to be without God himself. Now, again, make no mistake, the world is indeed under satanic power, this world system. Again, 1 John 5 and 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. No exclusion. The whole world. His subjects are characterized by this, to Ephesians 2 and 10. They're dead, Ephesians 2 and 1, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're walking according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit is now working in the sons of disobedience. They are those who are living in the lust of their flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and are by nature children of wrath. That's the world. And we are commanded in verse 2 here, Romans 12, to not be conformed to the world, or to stop being conformed. One modern writer, in uh, reference to that, says this, As Christians, we must cultivate the mindset of exiles. And what this does mainly is sober us up and wake us up so that we don't drift with the world and take for granted the way that the world thinks and the way acts, the world acts is the best way. We don't assume that what is on TV is helpful to the soul. We don't assume that the priorities of advertisers is helpful to the soul. We don't assume that strategies and values of business and industry are helpful to the soul. We don't assume that any of this glorifies God. We stop and we think. And we consult the wisdom of our own country, heaven. And we don't assume the conventional wisdom of this age is God's wisdom. We get our bearings from God and his word. When you see yourself as an alien and an exile and your citizenship in heaven, and God is your only sovereign, you stop drifting with the current of the day. You ponder what is good for the soul and what honors God in everything, food, cars, videos, bathing suits, birth control, driving speeds, bedtimes, financial savings, education for the children, unreached peoples, famine, refugee camps, sports, death, and everything else. Aliens get their cue from God and not from the world. That's helpful. We are not of this world. We're not to be pressed into the mold of this world. Stop being conformed to this world. Don't let this world around you squeeze you into its own mold. So he's saying, look, as believers, we're to be insulated from the world, separated from the world, insulated from the world's values, the world's system, uh, the world's thinking. We are to resist it. We're not to conform to it. We're to fight against it. 
This world that has no love for God, no love for Christ. This world that is immoral, this world that is governed by Satan. From its news to its education, to its media, to its music, to its politics. This world system that is governed by Satan, that is again anti-God and anti-Christ across the board in all of its thinkings, all of its actions, all of its desires, passions, goals, etc. Now stop and ask yourself, with that said, how much of media, of the world's media, do I take in? How much do I listen to or read secular news sources? Even so-called, quote-unquote, conservative news sites or conservative talk shows. How much of that do you take into your life every single day? How much of the world's entertainment am I watching? How much time do I spend on social media, Twitter, Facebook, blogs, Instagram, etc., and so forth? How much time do I spend surfing the web, as they say? How much of what I am ingesting through the secular worldly media and entertainment is truly God-honoring and Christ-honoring? How much is God-honoring and Christ-honoring? How much time do I spend watching television? How often do I binge-watch my favorite series or favorite series plural How much time do I give to worldly influences? Or how much time do I willingly take in worldly influences? Most statistics that I have seen suggest that when people are online, they lose track of time. They appear to be watching or engaging the content of the Internet much longer than they had imagined or much longer than they had actually even wanted to. They just lose track of time. One writer says this, the world's entertainment industry is always studying ways to hold our attention for the longest stretch of time. Whether companies are trying to entice us to go from one show to the next, one article to the next, or one blog post to the next, listen, they will not let our attention go without a fight. The root of the issue is this, they are fighting for our discipleship and for our love. You might not have a clue what's going on in the world, but the world knows exactly what it's doing has a very intelligent, demonic head that has intentionality and purpose. It's a fight for your discipleship and for your love. Many of the social media apps on our phones intentionally are designed to draw us deeper and deeper, to keep us longer and longer with the content. And they'll not let us go. So again, the question is, how much of the world are you ingesting? How much of the world are you ingesting, this world that hates both God and Christ? How much of the world's ideology? How much of the world's thinking? How much of the world's values? And again, I ask the question, how much of it is helpful to you on a spiritual level? Or, how is the world's values, entertainment, thinking, etc., and so forth, how is that contributing to your spiritual growth? How is it contributing to your spiritual walk? How is it contributing to increasing your love for Christ? Or is it at all doing any of those things? Or is the world constantly, consistently trying to condition you 
to influence you, to shape your values, to shape your thinking, to shape your worldview, to mold it into its own point of view. How much of the world is helping your mind towards Christ-likeness, towards Christ-like thinking? Again, this world that is dominated by the prince of the power of the air. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, everyone in the room would say, it's not helping very much. There's not much that the world has to offer that is helping us in our spiritual growth and increasing our love for Christ. That's why Paul says, stop. Do not be, stop being conformed to the world. And again, as believers delivered from this world, we are to resist the world system that is dominated by Satan. Again, Scripture calls us Colossians 3 and 2 to set our minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. To be shaped into the image of Christ by the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. I absolutely guarantee you that a gospel-driven Christ, a Christian worldview is not something that you will find coming from the world to you. Again, the world is completely in opposition to God, completely in opposition to Christ. Hates God, hates Christ, hates you. Hates anything that is God-honoring and Christ-exalting. And the more Christians participate in the thinking of this age, the more Christians will allow their worldview to become infected. In fact, more specifically, the more you participate in the thinking of this age, the more you will allow your thinking to become infected. Your thinking will be infected. It will not become disciplined to follow Christ and to respond to those events around you in a Christ-like, God-honoring fashion. For example, I'm not trying to create any kind of controversy here, but just think about the last year. Think about how much of our thinking has been infected by the world in its absolute fear of death through the coronavirus. Versus how much of our thinking has been encouraged by the fact that no matter what happens in this world, God is sovereign over the events of mankind. God is sovereign. And according to the Bible, our times are in God's hands. According to the Bible, God has written down or ordained all of our days before there was yet even one of them, as it says in Psalm 139, verse 16. How much of our thinking has been infected by the world's fears and anxieties when as believers we are called to be anxious for nothing? Philippians 4 and 6. How many of us as true believers in the midst of a worldwide uh, uh, epidemic, in the political and social chaos, the rioting, the looting, how many of us still really believe that God is on His throne? And that God, according to Romans 8, 28, says, we know that God has caused all things to work together for good for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. How many of us really believe that? How many of us can honestly look at ourselves in the mirror, the mirror and say, and I know. I really believe that God is on his throne. I really believe that what God is doing, what God is allowing in this world, because again, Satan is the little P prince, the little G God, but God is the sovereign of the universe. Satan may be active, but he's on a leash. He belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God the Father. Do we really believe that what God is doing in this world is actually working all things out together for our good? Do you listen to the news and you come away from the news and go, I'm thankful that God is working this out for my good? How many of you honestly say that to yourself? If not, you're being infected by the world's thinking. All the events of this last year for our good, for His glory. 
as he is expanding his kingdom and his church. Somebody asked the question, well, what possibly could God be doing with all of the chaos and the unrest in the culture that is good? How could he be working this mess out for our good and for his glory? Now, I wouldn't propose that I know the mind of God, so I can't give a definitive answer. But I could suggest that perhaps in the midst of the fact that the foundations of our culture are crumbling all around us at a rapid rate, that maybe the good that God might be working out for the believer is that God is again calling us out of the world. That he is helping us to realize that this world is not our home. That we are indeed nothing more than aliens and strangers. Perhaps God is causing all the unrest and the chaos around us, the fear, to encourage us as his children to pray to him more and to trust him more. That would be good, would it not? To pray more and to trust God more? To learn to trust him, to enter into his presence more often? Our Heavenly Father, the one who tells us we don't have to be anxious for anything? That would be a good outcome. As I've read the Bible, I kind of have taken notice that God tends to take the wickedness of men and turn it into something that is good for God's people and honoring for himself and glorifying of his person and his son. Evidence number one that comes to my mind, of course, would be the wickedness of the crucifixion of the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless one. As God took all the evil of that event, that great event out of history for what men intended for evil, he turned it around for good, for his glory, for the good of those who repent and place their faith in the substitute. Again, his innocence sent the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe, just maybe, the wisdom of God is greater than our wisdom. How much of your thinking is being guided by biblical truth versus how much have we allowed our thinking to be swept away by the spirit of this anti-God, anti-Christ age? Fear of the future, fear of death, which none of us have any control over. Right? Our futures belong to God. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who takes life away. Everything belongs to him. Guess Again, there's only two kingdoms. Only two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Satan dominates and influences this world system, this kingdom of darkness and everything that is in it. But Jesus Christ himself said, John eighteen thirty six, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Again, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Colossians 3, 1. 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, followers of Christ cannot love the Father and the world. They are two non-existent realities. Again, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away, so it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Again, there's no place of neutrality. There's no middle ground. If you love the world, this system, and everything that it has, then you hate God. James 4 and 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. How much of the world are you allowing to influence you? How much of the world are you allowing to shape you, to shape your thinking, your values, your view of life in the world? And again, ask yourself the question, is this world that you're living in a friend of grace? 
Is it a friend of Christ? Is it a friend that's going to help me in my spiritual growth, my spiritual walk, my love for the Savior? And again, Paul tells the Galatians, Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age, according to the will of God the Father. Again, Colossians 1 and 13, he delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his Son. If God, because of the person of the of if Christ and God the Father have delivered us out of this present evil age, why in the world would we ever want to go back into it? Why in the world would we want to even get near it? Back in the garden, when God made the command of what could be eaten and what could not be eaten, the only way that you could find yourself in a position where you take of the forbidden fruit is if you got yourself near that tree. Instead of being on the opposite side of the garden... Someone made this comment, which I thought was helpful, that a boat in the water is normal, but water in the boat is a disaster. That's a good picture. How much of it are you taking in? How much of it are you taking it into your life? While you're living in the world, how much of the world are you allowing, while you are living in the world, how much of the world are you allowing to live in you? How much of the world are you allowing to influence your thinking? Are you indeed living on a warlike status? Are you actively engaged in the battle around you for your mind and the mind of others who are being deceived by the prince of the power of the air? Or are you just accepting everything you see and hear willy-nilly? <laughs> War talk. That's so antiquated. I can't believe I listened to nonsense like that. You know, I'm on a vacation. I actually happen to be on a cruise ship, and I'm having a wonderful time here in this world. Okay? Those are your options. You're either on a warlike footing, you're on a cruise. The reality is there's still a battle raging all around us. Do not be or stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reason that we're not to be conformed to this world, the text goes on and says, so that you may prove, or really that you may discern, approve of, or really know, that you may know what the will of God is. The only way that you're not going to be shaped into this world is you've got to know God's word, God's will, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now the word transformed means changed. It's the opposite of being conformed. Right? The opposite of being conformed is being transformed. Transformed is the present imperative. It means that we must presently stop being conformed to this world and we must be presently transformed. Again, it's a command. It's in the imperative mood. And it's interesting. It's in the passive voice, which indicates this process of transformation is something that is happening to us, something that is happening to us by an outside agency, an outside force. And of course, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's transforming us. He's the one who's changing us more and more into the image of Christ. And the word transform is in the present tense. Meaning, again, it's something that is ongoing versus something that is a one-time action. Now stop and think about this. The present tense is always changing. The present is always changing. Now is the present. That moment's gone. Now is the present. That moment's gone. Now is the present. That moment's gone. Presently. Ongoing, continuously. Therefore, the command is by moment by moment not to be conformed to this evil world system, but we are to be moment by moment being transformed, not in an instant, but continuously, 
indefinitely. It's a process that goes on and on and on, repeated over and over and over in our entire lives as believers in Christ. We're to be continually transformed, changed into our inner being to be more like Christ. How does it happen? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a repeated theme in the New Testament. The outward transformation is affected by an inward change of the mind. It's the spirit. The spirit at work. The spirit transforms our mind. And how does he do that? Through the word. Through his word. The Holy Spirit transforms us. He changes our mind. He redirects our thinking. He completely changes us and renews us from the inside out. The word renew can mean renewal or renovation, but it is always a complete change for the better. It means to cause something new and different with the implication of becoming superior. Superior. And again, the Holy Spirit's means of doing that is through his word. David testifies, Psalm 119, verse 11, Your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Right? It's the, it's the word of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. That's how our minds are renewed, that he transforms our lives. Paul, Colossians 3.16, he implores us, Let the word of Christ richly dwell in us with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness of their hearts to God. Let the word of Christ richly dwell The transformed mind is a mind that is saturated and controlled by the Word of God. The transformed mind is a mind that is saturated and controlled by the Word of God. It's a mind that spends as little time as possible, even with the necessary things of this earthly life, in as much as time possible with the things of God. It's a mind that's truly set on the things above. It's a mind that's not set on the things of this earth. So again, how much time are you spending with the things of the world versus how much time are you spending in God's Word? How much of the world's thinking is shaping you and molding you versus how much are you allowing the word of God to shape you and mold you? And again, there's no neutrality. Friendship with the world is hostility towards God. And whatever happens in this world to us, whether good or bad, our immediate, almost reflexive response is going to come from what fills our hearts and minds. Whatever happens, if, if it's a worldliness and worldly thinking is the world's agenda, then that will be our response to what goes on in this world, which will be just like the lost world's response. But if as believers, our hearts and minds are full of Christ, full of God's word, overflowing with affection and love for God in Christ, controlled by God's thinking, God's perspective, God's sovereign rulership and ownership over his world, then whatever happens to us, whatever comes our way, whatever happens in the world around us, we will respond with a biblical mindset. True? Stop being conformed and be transformed. Now, to be honest with you, if we had two or three more hours, I could at least finish my introduction. But we don't. So for the college students who are leaving... And for us who are staying, because this message applies to every one of us. I implore every one of us in the room, cut yourself off from the world's thinking. Stop letting the world influence you. Stop letting the world conform you to its image. This world offers you nothing of eternal spiritual value. Absolutely nothing. 
Instead, have your minds continually, constantly, repeatedly, over and over, renewed by the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Take your one-minute Bible devotion and throw it in the trash. Pick up your Bible and read. Get your tail end out of your bed earlier and read. And really read. To know, to understand God and to understand His Word. Study the Word. Memorize the Word. Read Christian biographies that will encourage you and challenge your heart concerning faithful men of the past. Stop wasting your time with this world because eternity is sh- time is short and eternity is coming. Stop wasting your time here. Now again, the chaos that we see in the world, it doesn't bother me, honestly, be truthful. It doesn't really surprise me. It is a world that has completely rejected God's word. And the whole point of my message is not to address them. My whole point of the message is to address you. And what greatly concerns me is I'm seeing an ever-increasing encroach, an ever-increasing a, a, a worldliness in the thinking of the church. And I'm not talking about just the liberal branch of the church. I'm talking about that one group that we once recently even labeled as conservative and sound that was once considered theologically and biblically sound. Seems like almost every day I continue to read stories or listen to events or listen to the thinking of so-called quote-unquote church leaders that tell me that they're being shaped more by the influence of the world around them than they are being influenced by a biblical theology, and that is alarming. God hasn't called me to address them. God hasn't called me to shepherd them. He's called me to encourage and shepherd the hearts of this congregation. So again, I tell you, we're living in dangerous times. And listen, the dangerous times that I'm concerned about are not the dangers of the culture. Again, the culture is nothing more than a display of the depraved mind taking over. A mind that doesn't work. A mind that has rejected God in total. The greatest danger of our time is by false teachers that are trying to work their way into God's fellowship and to influence God's people away from biblical truth and away from Christ, away from the sufficiency of the gospel. And my heart is broken over that because there are so many people falling for these lies. I beg you on behalf of Christ to stop and evaluate what you're taking in. How much of the world are you taking into your mind, into your thinking? And ask yourself, how much are you saturating your mind and your thinking with the Word of God? How much of the world, how much of the Word? And as believers in Christ, I'm also going to beg you to stop and evaluate and to listen from the supposed Christian sources that you're listening to and ask the question, does it line up with the Word of God? Does it line up with the Gospel? Is it adding to or taking away from the gospel? Is it honoring and exalting God in Christ? Is it promoting unity that Christ has provided for his church? And I can tell you one of the telltale signs that you're being led down the wrong path is when you hear somebody come and talk about the black church and the white church, the little red light on top of your head ought to be going off like crazy because you're being lied to because there's only one church. It's the blood-bought saints of the Lord Jesus Christ who has reconciled to himself men from every tribe, tongue, people, and culture. When you hear people start separating up the body of Christ into that group and this group and whatever, you are listening to the lies of the devil and you need to cut it off. I don't care if you've listened to that person for the last 20 years of your life. That person is being influenced by outside sources that are not biblically uh, faithful. And it's everywhere. 
The world masquerades as Christian, comes in, tries to cause more division, more chaos in the church. Our God is not a God of, con- uh, of confusion. Our God is not a God of chaos. Our God is not a God of separation. He is reconciled to himself through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and we are not of this world. And there's nothing new under the sun. We just have to wake up and realize this. I'm going to close with these words by Horatius Bonner, a short article he wrote in 1875 entitled Satan and the Gospel. Listen. Let us mark how, in these days of ours, Satan works and tempts and rages. He comes as an angel of light to mislead, yet pretending to lead, to blind, yet professing to open the eye, to obscure and bewilder, yet professing to illuminate and guide. He approaches us with fair words upon his lips, liberty, progress, culture, freedom, expansion, elevation, science, literature, benevolence, nay, even religion too. He seeks to make his own out of these and to give the world as much of these as suits his purposes and as much as will make them content without God and without Christ and without the Holy Spirit. He sets himself against God and the things of God in every way. He can deny the gospel or he can dilute the gospel or he can obscure the gospel or he can neutralize the gospel just as suits his purposes uh, or the persons with whom he has to do. His object in regard to the gospel is to take out all that make glad tidings to the sinner. And oftentimes this modified or mutilated gospel, which looks so much like the real, serves his best end, for it throws men off their guard, making them suppose that they have received Christ's gospel, even though they have not found in it the good news which it contains. He rages against the true God, sometimes openly and coarsely, and other times calmly and politely, making men to believe that he is a friend of the truth, but an enemy of its perversions. Progress, progress, progress is the watchword now, by which means he hopes to allure men away from the old anchorages under the pretext of giving them a wider, fuller, more genial teaching. He bids them to soar above the creeds and catechism and dogmas dogmas as the dregs of the inferior age and a lower mental status. He distinguishes, too, between theology and religion, warmly advocating the latter in order to induce men to abandon the former. He rages against the divine accuracy of the Bible and cunningly subverts its inspiration by elevating every true poet and philosopher to the same inspired position. So successfully has he wrought in disintegrating and undermining the truth that there is hardly a portion of it left firm. The ground underneath it is hollow. The crust on which we tread is ready to give way to precipitate us into the abyss of unbelief. We live in difficult times. There's a war going on around us. There's only two kingdoms. The command is not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we're thankful for this truth. Compelling. A warning. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But you have rescued us and delivered us from this present evil age. May we never go back anywhere near it. May we have our hearts and minds controlled by your word and your word alone. Help us to be discerning. And the only way that we can be discerning is if we know truth, because that's the only way that we can spot error. We are so thankful for your kindness, so thankful for your word. 
And again, thankful for the warning and confident in the person of the Holy Spirit who does that work of transformation if we but take up your word and read that you have promised us. We honor you. We praise you. We're thankful again for these students. We pray your blessing upon them as they go the direction you have for them this summer. And for all of us again, Lord, just help us to be more influenced by truth than we are influenced by the world. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.